Hey, Spanish River Church. Can we do a little bit better? Good morning. Good morning, Spanish. There we go. Uh, I have to tell you, every time I come back here, it is refreshing for my soul. Spanish River is home for my family and I. My family came last night. They are at New River Fellowship this morning. My wife leads up the uh, children's ministry there. Uh, Otherwise, I would have loved to have been with us all this morning worshiping as well. Now, some of you have been watching online. Maybe this is your first time coming in person, and you hear, my name is Mike Veets, and I'm from Spanish or New River Fellowship, and then you see my bald head, and maybe you're a little confused. (laughs) David does also have a bald head. And so maybe you elbowed your neighbor and was like, hey, are you sure this isn't David Cassidy? And your neighbors probably said, no, David has a very radio-type voice, and this guy clearly does not. That is true. And I'm used to the fact that so many more people are taller than me. I've been surrounded my entire life by giants. But here's what I want you to know from the outset. I may not have a radio voice. I'm not nearly as tall as David. But I'm way, way less intelligent than he is. And poorly spoken. So, by the grace of God, we're going to read his word. And we're going to see if God will open up our hearts and minds and show us Jesus. Amen? Let's read Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know our trials. You know our temptations. You know the discouragements of our hearts. And all throughout Scripture, you tell us you're a God who sees who cares, and who's with us. Father, would you be with us this morning? Would your Holy Spirit descend upon us like it did the early church in Acts chapter 2 today on Pentecost Sunday? Would you illuminate our minds so we might understand who Jesus is? Would you light our hearts afire that we might care more than we've ever cared? And Lord, would you help us to love more than we've ever loved our Savior? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have been a Christian for any amount of time, or if you're considering about being a Christian, I I need you to understand something. The Christian walk does not mean your life is going to be easy. Amen? There are going to be discouragements. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be heartaches. There's going to be failures on your own part. There's going to be failures on your church's part. And all of these tensions, while this sovereign king, Jesus, reigns and rules from heaven. And in those discouragements and in those heartaches, you're going to find that you want to quit. Now, some of you who are new to Christ are like, no, I'll never quit. Listen, there's coming a time when you're going to feel like quitting. And God knows that. The, the people that the author of Hebrews was writing to had been through persecution. They had had their property stolen because they followed Jesus. They had seen other people persecuted for Jesus. 
And he knows you're going to be discouraged, and he knows you're going to be persecuted, and he knows you're going to struggle and want to bow out. And so he writes Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 for us. He gives us this encouragement to continue running the race of faith and looking to Jesus. And he gives us kind of three ways on how we can do that, how we can run the race of faith well in the midst of so much distraction, so much discouragement, and so much temptation. He tells us to see God's faithfulness, to be self-disciplined. And already I can tell you, you're like, wait, self-disciplined? I don't like that at all. We'll get there. And to behold Jesus, to see Jesus and who he really is and what he's done for you. So let's do that real quick. If you're discouraged or if you aren't discouraged but you're going to be in the future or you're tempted or you're persecuted, you need to see God's faithfulness. Now we start out in Hebrews chapter 12 with these words, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You're like, wait a second, who are these witnesses and how are they a cloud? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. The witnesses are actually every saint that he mentions in Hebrews chapter 11, the whole chapter. He goes through all of these saints from the Old Testament who lived a faith, who lived a faith that was so convicted about God's promises that they live today in light of the fulfillment of those promises. They made the decisions during their, lifestyle, during their lifetime to live faithful to God even when everything looked like, it, like God wasn't there and wasn't listening. And the author of Hebrews says, hey, in light of all of these faithful witnesses, let's lay aside every way. Now, the witnesses here, the image that the author gives us is one of a race. It's like you're in an arena and there's these huge stadium of stands of, of, of people all around, but they're not these fickle witnesses. They're not like uh, people who come to be entertained. They're witnesses and what they're witnessing to is the faithfulness of God. They're showing us that living a faithful life in today's day and age is possible. And it's possible because God is faithful to carry us through. You know, here's a passage that I frequently turn to. It's 1 Thessalonians 5. It says this. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Who's going to carry you through to the end? Jesus. You see, when you read these Old Testament saints, you're like, yeah, but these are special people. They're better than me. They're stronger than me. They're more faithful than me. And the answer is no, they're not. They're not at all. This week I did my quiet time in 1 Kings 19. The great prophet Elijah accomplishes these amazing feats and then Jezebel wants to kill him and so he runs away. And you know what he says? God, take my life. Have you been there? You know the beautiful thing about 1 Kings 19? Is God, God ministers to Elijah. Elijah wants to die and God feeds him and nurtures him and then sends him back out on mission. God carries Elijah through this depressing time and he carries him through. So we had a few people at New River. In all, we've been about four and a half years. We've had um, a little over 55 people come to Christ. I want to share a few of their stories. Uh, one is of Tommy. Now that's not his actual name because he's six years old. 
Tommy comes to our children's ministry because his father and uncle work at the building in which we lease. It's a, it's a government building. And it's easier for them to bring Tommy to our children's ministry than it is to pay a babysitter. So Tommy, when he first came, we were told that he is a bit distracting, that he has some learning disabilities and he will probably cause problems. And when he does, to call them back and they will reprimand him. Well, we never really had problems with Tommy. The only thing that we noticed was when Tommy first started coming, he would sit in the corner and he would not engage anybody. He was super shy. But we noticed after about two, three weeks that he kind of started coming a little bit closer. Then he started sharing his story about his family. He, his, his dad, his uncle, his mom, his grandpa, none of them believe in Jesus. This is his first time coming to church. Doesn't really understand what's going on. So he starts asking questions. Why do we sing these songs? Why do we... Why do we open this Bible and why do we memorize verses? And Suzanne, my wife, answers them patiently. And then a couple of months ago, we hear a story about how his grandfather wanted to take him to a Marlins game. Tommy wasn't having it. Sunday's church day. Tommy's grandpa's like, no, 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 I got Marlins tickets. He's coming around only a few times for us. Nope. Tommy was at church. A couple weeks later, he learns about The Chosen, that series that shows the life of Christ, and he gets his grandpa to watch it with him. And at the end, his grandpa says, that was a really good story, Tommy. Let's watch some more next time. And then last week, he came to Suzanne, my wife, and he said, hey, can I get the CD of those songs that we sing? They're simply scripture that are put to music and helps the children memorize. He goes, I want to listen to it when I go to and from school. And Suzanne's like, absolutely. Give him the CD. What, you, what we're seeing happen in Tommy's life is he's believing in Jesus for the first time. It's remarkable. Fast forward to a few years for Gabby. She's about 25 years old. She works for AutoNation. She's up and coming in the corporate world. Uh, and she designs electrical vehicle hookups uh, for all of the AutoNation uh, dealerships. She was invited back last December to our church. She grew up in Eastern Europe. She uh, grew up as an atheist, a devout atheist. And when her friend invited her to New River, she's like, ah, I don't know. She didn't think very highly of churches. But she came, and she came again, and her friend started telling her about Jesus. She started asking some difficult questions, like, really, the questions were like, but aren't you guys crazy? Like, aren't you just, like, mean and hateful? And as she learned about the love of Christ... Her heart started to change. And last week, she told me she wanted to be baptized. In fact, I asked her, I asked her if I could tell her story. She thought she wanted, that I wanted her to come up here and tell her story. And she said, if it's for God, I'll do it, but I'm terrified. I'm like, oh, no, 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 Gabby. I'm just going to tell your story really quick. Don't worry. But thank you. Uh, there's eight other people we've baptized. We've got a picture of them here. This was back in March. Uh, and every single one of these people, you know what I want them to know when it comes to Tommy, when it comes to Gabby, when it comes to these eight? I want them to know that if you want to live for Christ, it's going to be difficult. But you can do it because God is faithful. When I was uh, a brand new Christian, I had the privilege of being mentored by an older gentleman. His name is Dr. Sauer. I talk about him frequently because he's had a huge impression on my life. 
And it's true that we see this example of God's faithfulness in the Old Testament, but you know what? We also see it in those who've gone before us, right around us, in our community. And Dr. Sauer is one of those for me. When he was discipling me, he got a phone call one night. His daughter, who was pregnant with his first grandchildren, they were twins, was depressed, worried about the future, and she committed suicide. His whole life, Dr. Sauer had devoted himself to Jesus. He went to the Vietnam War in the Marines, and his, his then fiance used to sneak him New Test, the Greek New Testament in her letters because the, the Marine Corps at the time would only allow him his Bible that they gave him. But he was translating the New Testament from the Greek, and so she would wrap it up in her letters and she would send it to him. And at night, he would send her, sit under his covers. He got his THM from Dallas Theological Seminary, then got his PhD over in Europe. His entire life, he devoted to Jesus, and now his daughter and his two grandchildren were dead. A year later, his son-in-law committed suicide because he was unable to handle the loss of his wife. And I watched Dr. Sauer and his wife, he calls, who he calls Sweet Sue, I watched them wrestle with the pain in the morning, the loss. Literally, I would meet with him in the morning after him and his wife had been up all night prayer walking, crying out to God and asking him why. And you know what was amazing? Is every time I met with him, he had this firm confidence that in spite of the terrible things that had happened, God was with him and God cared. And God was good. Can you imagine? So fast forward a few years when I have uh, my second daughter. She's born four months early. She's in the hospital. I'm being told by the doctor she has a 95% chance of dying. And the doctors are telling me my wife has a 95% chance of dying. You know who the first person I called was? Dr. Sauer. And you know what he pointed me towards? God's faithfulness. That regardless of what happens, God was with me. He saw. He cared. And he was going to comfort me and provide for me. And God did. Hardest time of my life. God's faithful. So if you're, whether you're a new believer or you're an older believer, the thing you need to see is God is faithful and he can carry you through whatever it is you're going through so that you can remain faithful in your circumstances to Jesus and finish the race well. So the first thing is see God's faithfulness. The second thing you need to see is self-discipline. Now, nobody in this room likes the idea of self-discipline unless you're a self-righteous person. You're like, what? Listen, I'll get to it in just a second. All right? Self-discipline, we're not talking here about punishment. We're not punishing ourselves. We're training ourselves for godliness, right? And Dr. Sauer, the same gentleman I was talking about earlier, uh, shared with me this uh, definition of self-discipline. Self-discipline is doing what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, how it needs to be done, regardless of how I feel. For over 18 years, I've used that in my life. When it comes to working out, when it comes to what I eat, when it comes to work, there are oftentimes I find myself not wanting to do whatever it is I have to do. Amen? Am I the only one? So I repeat to myself, because I want to be self-disciplined, I want to be disciplined, man. Being disciplined means doing what needs to be done, how it needs to be done, when it needs to be done, regardless of how I feel. Now, this has been great for me. It's great for me when I work out. It's great for me when I go to work. But it's also great in my walk with Jesus. Because what I find is when, when Jesus commands me to do something, like share my faith or love on somebody who's hard to love, 
and I don't want to do it if I continue forward without pausing, I just kind of burn myself out. It's like this grind that just wears me down. That's really what the law does, right? And so what I've done is I've taken this definition and I, when Jesus commands me to share my faith or to love uh, the marginalized or something like that, and I find myself not wanting to do it, I stop and I ask myself, why? Mike, what is going on in your heart that you don't want to obey God? Are you worshiping an idol that you're trying to protect? Really what it comes down to for me is unbelief. What am I falsely believing about who God is, what he's doing, and who I am uh, in my life? And it's a time and an opportunity for me to repent. To say, God, I know you tell me to go therefore and make disciples, but I don't want to because I'm terrified that I'm going to be rejected, that I'm going to look like a fool. And ultimately, Lord, when it comes down to it, I don't think you're going to be with me. And I care about the praise of man way more than I care about your praise and your glory. That is sin. Would you forgive me? And then I look at Jesus' life, how he lived an absolutely perfect life where he never shrunk away from telling the truth, where he always proclaimed the kingdom of God in the gospel. And I remind myself that his righteous life has been given to me and I'm forgiven. And you know what ends up happening? I find myself motivated to go share the gospel with whoever it was I didn't want to. Not because I'm great or I'm muscling through it, but because Jesus has done such an incredible work on my behalf that I'm incredibly thankful and in love. Now, I said earlier that you really don't like self-discipline unless you're self-righteous, and here's where I was going with that. I found myself about five years into my Christian walk loving self-discipline. You know why? Because it made me better than the next person. Look at me. I work out way more than that guy does down there. I'm way better than he is. I work way more hours. I'm dedicated to my job. I'm a great employee. I get up in the morning early. I read for an hour the Bible. I memorize way more scripture. You know what's happening to my heart? Somehow I think that God loves me more because of my self-discipline. That's not what, before we even get to what the author of Hebrews is talking about, that's not at all what he's talking about. He's talking about a self-discipline that comes from a love for Jesus an outpouring, an overflow of just the gospel taking root in our hearts. And we want to serve him because we love him. We want to lay aside every weight. We want to lay aside every sin. We want to live a determined lifestyle. Why? Because we want to be closer to God? No. There's absolutely nothing we could do to make God love us more. And that's why we want to do everything to be as close as we can to our Savior. And here's what the author tells us to do. You're running a race. Here's how it's going to be easier. Lay aside every weight. Now, the Greek word here for weight is the idea of just anything that hinders you from running. It could be, in fact, it probably stresses good things that hinder you from running with Christ. Let me give you a few examples from my own life. If you're convicted, not my fault. These are my own problems, okay? First one, Netflix. Do you want me to keep going? 
Yo, Netflix is not bad, but can it hinder your walk with Christ? You better believe it. There is a man that I know pretty well who at one point spent six hours a night watching Netflix. He stopped. His wife was gracious and called him out. How about your phone? Yo, men, if your son or daughter is tugging on your arm to get your attention after you've been away at work all day and you're just scrolling through your phone, it's a hindrance. It's a weight. Lay it down. If you're on Twitter, social media, oh, here we go. If you can't wait to wake up in the morning and see what Elon Musk tweeted, rather than read what the words of your Savior are, it's probably a hindrance. If you can't wait to see what the next talking head has said on your favorite news channel before you ever get to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's probably a hindrance. And the author of Hebrews, God himself wants you to know that's going to slow you down in your run for faithful living for Christ. Lay it aside. I trained for a marathon once, never again. Not going to do it ever again. Ever again. Ever again. (laughs) Worst thing ever. I was supposed to lose weight because... As you could tell, I'm a little heavy for a marathon runner. I didn't lose a pound. It was terrible. Running was difficult. I was at six and a half miles and I was like, what am I doing? My wife was next to me. She's running no problem. She's 100 pounds lighter than me and way more athletic. Lay aside every weight that hinders you from running with Jesus. The second thing he mentions is lay aside sin. Now he keeps it really vague here. Because each of us have different sins in our life. And they so easily entangle us and ensnare us. They like wrap around our feet and cause us to trip up. And the author of Hebrews says that, hey, if you want to start and finish strong in Jesus, lay aside any sin. Don't play patty cake with it. Lay it aside. And the final thing he mentions is have a mindset of determination. I'm serious. When I ran the marathon about six and a half miles in, I tweaked my knee. We were doing this like run-walk thing that made us absolutely dead last in finishing. They were pulling up all the the barricades and they're like, oh, are you guys still in the race? Yeah, please. We have no idea where to go. You took down all the... Because I was slow. But you know what we had? Determination to finish. And if you're going to live for Jesus in a way where you're looking forward to the upward call of Christ, where you're not ashamed when he appears, where you're constantly being the salt and the light in the earth, you have to have a mindset of determination. There's no way you're going to lay aside every hindrance. There's no way you're going to lay aside every sin if you're just sort of, meh. If you you live the Christian life like like I trained for a marathon, good luck. It's hard. You gotta be focused. But what are you gonna be focused on? You're gonna be focused on Jesus. You know, there's a man, uh, I shared a story uh, last time I preached here, about January of last year. His name is Christian. We got a story, uh, we got his uh, picture here. Christian, I think we have his picture. Oh, I skipped ahead of one. We'll get back to Christina. Christian uh, came to us about three and a half years ago. He was living under a bridge and he was an addict. And we said, hey, Christian, you wanna get off the streets? He's like, I do. I said, great, we'll pay for your halfway house for three months and we'll pay for your food for one month if 
you come and help us set up church and tear down church, and if you agree to read the Bible every day for three months. He's like, all right, I don't believe any of that stuff, but I mean, if it's three months of free rent, yeah, I'll do that. So he did. I met with him about a month and a half into it, and you know what? God was doing his thing. Christian was like, I don't think this is half as crazy as I thought it was. I was like, no kidding, tell me more. He's like, yeah, I think I've actually started to believe this. I'm like, that's incredible. What do you believe? It's like, oh, you know, that whole thing about Jesus dying for my sin stuff. I think I might need that. I said, I think you do too. Now, Christian's been in my discipleship group for about two years. And one of the things that has been absolutely amazing is his focus on Jesus. He has run the race with determination. Every time we study something and he learns that it's a sin or a hindrance in his life, he cuts it off. It's remarkable. And I can tell you because I spend so much time with him, it's not out of this like duty to somehow earn God's favor. It's because he understands just how much has been done for him and he loves Jesus so much, he's willing to just cut it out. He's determined to walk with Christ. He has hope and joy like he's never had before. You know what's really cool is as he learns about what it means to be a man in the household, how to lead his children, how to lead his wife and love his wife well, his wife, who was never interested in church, is coming. You know, he said, hey, here's some things I want to change because I'm convicted based on scripture that I'm not doing this well when, I come to, when it comes to interacting with you. Uh, are you okay with that? She's, she would say things like, oh, I don't think you need to stop that. It's no big deal. Three weeks into it, she'd be like, hey, I need you to continue to do that. That's awesome. Christian is determined because he's focused on Jesus. The author here in Hebrews uses two words to, to describe our focus on Jesus. The first one is look. Verse two, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the one who originated and leads our faith. And he's the one who's perfected us through his atoning sacrifice, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What's that joy that was set before him? You know what that joy was? The idea that he was going to redeem you. The joy set before Jesus endured the cross. Why? Because he looked forward to the joy of being with you. That's remarkable. Like when you consider all the things that you and I have done to rebel against and be an enemy of God, here's Jesus who knows everything, joyful that he gets to redeem you, that God the Father adopts you, and that we get to be brothers and family. The joy set before him. What did he do? He despised the shame of the cross. The cross was incredibly shameful. Everyone who was crucified was crucified in a very public place and absolutely naked. Jesus knew this. And he despised it. What does it mean by despise? The Greek word there for despise means he considered it nothing. Not that he ignored it, but compared to the joy of redeeming you and getting to spend eternity with you, he thought the shame of the cross was absolutely nothing. Don't worry about it. He knew that on the cross he was going to take on the eternal wrath of God for you and I. And he said, it's worth it because of the joy of getting to spend time with Alex, Lance, Brian, 
even Mike. It's incredible. Look to the Savior who endured suffering because he thought he couldn't wait for the joy of getting to walk with you. He despised the shame. And look at what it says there in the next part of the verse. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Two things here. He's seated, meaning the work is finished. His death on the cross, the great exchange of our sin given to him and his righteousness given to us, his blood washing away our sin, and then his resurrection to new life, all of that is over. He doesn't have to die anymore. Died once for every man, woman, and child to be forgiven. At the right hand of the throne of God. You know what that means? He has all authority and power in heaven and on earth forever and ever. If we want to run this race with endurance, with determination, with longevity, in the midst of a world that wants to tear us apart, we have to look, look to Jesus who considered the shame of the cross nothing in order to spend eternity with you, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father because his work is finished and he will bring to completion all those who are called according to his purpose. And he rules and reigns forever. The second word that's used here is consider. We see it in verse 3. Verse 3 mentions it. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility. The word consider is a calculation word. It means literally to weigh your current suffering in light of the hostility that Jesus experienced. And particularly when it comes to persecution. One of the joys of my job as a church planter is I get to go out to coffee shops and I get to meet with a bunch of people who don't believe in Jesus. And I hear what they think we believe. And one of the things that I'm oftentimes told is that we're bigots and we're hateful, right? You've heard it before. But guys, why do we get so offended? Compare it to the hostility that Jesus experienced on the cross. Jesus, the one who was very God and very man, who spoke the truth to the Pharisees, who was gentle with the broken, who never lied, who never hurt anybody, was falsely accused and murdered. When I have a man or a woman sit across the table from me and tell me that what I believe is hateful, I don't get mad. I have a conversation with them. Listen, if you believe what the word of God says, persecution is part of living faithfully for Jesus. And if Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, he's in control of that situation. He's in control of everything. So when I have those conversations, I'm extremely prayerful, completely dependent on the spirit to work. And I'm still able to love the person who thinks that what I believe is wrong. Because my eyes are focused on Jesus. And the persecution I've suffered so far, nothing compared to what the hostility that he experienced. So friends, the final story I wanted to tell you about was Christina. That we, we should, yep, Christina, there's Christina with her 12-year-old son. She came to Christ about six months ago. She had come to uh, South Florida for rehab. 
She uh, uh, had been high since 16 years old. We got to celebrate her 40-year-old birthday, which was the first birthday since she was 16 that she celebrated sober. And I was talking to her just this week, asking her permission to share her story. You know what was amazing? Is even in these short six months, she recalled to me the faithfulness of God in her life over and over and over again. When she thought she couldn't continue, when she thought she was gonna go back to her old lifestyle, when she thought that in many ways, the persecution she was feeling was overwhelming, she just saw God faithfully give her strength for the next step. As we recounted her steps through recovery, I saw her lay aside every hindrance, lay aside every sin. And I saw her dogged determination to continue in the fight and the race. And it was so encouraging to hear her absolute focus on Jesus. She knew she'd been forgiven. She knew she had done terrible things. Friends and family, do you understand that? Do you understand just where you've come from and where God has brought you? How you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but now are a son and daughter of the living God? So redeemed are we that God the Father looks at us and doesn't look at us as an enemy and says, you are my son, you are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Friends, let's focus on him. Not ourselves. Not fears and worries and anxiety of our circumstances. Let's focus on Jesus and let's press on. Let's press on. Let's remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. Let's practice some self-discipline and let's focus our eyes intently on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a gracious God. You are faithful to us in the midst of our circumstances. Lord, we don't always find ourselves in awesome circumstances, but you, your word tells us you are here with us. You see what we're going through and you care. Father, I can't think of another person I would rather be walking this life with than you. Because of your tenderness, because of your love, because of your mercy, because of the grace in which you've shown me. Father, would you help us this week to live disciplined lives that are just an overflow of the gospel in our hearts? Would we be determined, Lord? Would we lay aside the sin that easily entangles us? Those good things that are hindrances, Lord, would you help us to identify them and lay them aside? And Father, as we pursue you with all of our hearts, would you bring us times of refreshing joy, of encouragement, of thankfulness, even to the point of tears of thankfulness, Lord. May you soften our hearts, light a flame our passion for the glory of your beautiful name, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.